Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living So Bomb. Busy Living So Bomb. Busy Living So Bomb. We're on episode 236, 236 episodes. Crazy with Robin Claire. Her third book is Feast and Famine. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the show. Busy, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming. I'm so excited to hear your story. And would you tell us what it was like, what happened and what it's like now and what brought you to writing the books and what your journey's been like? Yes. So, you know, I had the traditional uh, working mom, corporate America lifestyle, and I was both a corporate warrior and a spiritual warrior. And then I became my spiritual warrior and I came out of corporate America and started, you know, studying spirituality intensely. And then I started to become, I started to receive messages about books that the spiritual realm wanted humanity to read. Um, and so I became a channel for the ascended masters. And for this um, conversation, I, I thought I would talk about my third book, which is called Feast and Famine, Healing Addiction with Grace. And so in a beautiful meditation, I was in a waterfall and this being of light came walking towards me and she was magnificent. Um, she had this beautiful white gown on, but her face was so extraordinary. It kept changing. It became like every woman, every age, every race, every look and feel and I was staring at her but I knew that she had something to say and she said I am Sophia and I knew who Sophia was she is the um in in Christianity Christianity she's known as the Holy Spirit in Judaism she's known as the Shekhinah she calls herself grace the giver of grace and she said I would like you to write a book for me Robin called feast and famine healing addiction with grace and she said i'd like it i'd like to tell you what i believe is the problem on on earth for humanity what is the solution and i also want you to talk about your addiction and i knew that the time was coming for that i had been waiting for that the the problem was that she was asking me to write a book about recovery but i was still in addiction mm. so i wrote it anyway i figured you know, I would just fake it till I made it. But at the end of the book, I hadn't made it yet. And so the end of the book, the first time was, um, well, I hope these teachings work for you. They didn't work for me. So have a nice life. And I'm like, no, I can't put that book out. So I shelved it until I could come into recovery. And so I am in three years in recovery from obsessive compulsive food disorder and bulimia. Mm. And Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was not an easy path. Um, uh, I basically had um, hit rock bottom in a way that was very significant. I had received a message from a friend of mine who's a medium that my grandmother said in this message that if I didn't bury my bulimia, my family would bury me. But like most addicts I had to have one last round you know like people who drink have that last bottle of wine and I just had like a pig out food session 
And then I started throwing up. And then what happened was I started bleeding from my face and I had pain in my head and pain in my back and my pain in my chest. And I'm like, okay, this is it. This is it. I know that if I do this again, I will die. And so that brought me into recovery. And then I um, studied to become a recovery coach because I really wanted to understand recovery because in Feast and Famine, I really understood the spiritual perspective of recovery, but I didn't know the day-to-day mainstream perspective on recovery. I knew nothing um, other than what the research that I did for the book. And, um, and so the book is about recovery, but it's really about a very significant point that Sophia brings to the conversation. And that is our true addiction is to suffering. And then we choose our vice or substance or habit to, um, I used to say perpetuate the suffering, but I didn't like that anymore. <laughs> what it, what the vice does is it allows, it, while we're still wallowing in our pain, our suffering, it, it just allows us to feel better momentarily. And so I was sharing with you, you know, in our previous conversation that when I tell people that our addiction is to suffering, it really blows them away. Would you go into a little more detail with what suffering, what you mean by suffering? I do. A lot of people believe suffering has to be traumatic as in like you're in Vietnam and you've got, right? Because a lot of PTSD, that's a huge form of suffering. And people, trauma, people believe that if the trauma isn't, mom, mom, you know, something momentous with a gun or something really violent, that it's not validated. So will you tell me what that suffering I will. looks like? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, also, people associate suffering with Jesus on the cross. Mm. And so they don't really, don't feel that they have a right. Since he suffered for you know, everyone sins, they don't have a right to say they're suffering. And so we, we need to get beyond that too, that idea that we don't have a right to suffer. So what I believe happens is we are born as beautiful self, self-loved soul babies, right? And we come into this world and we're so innocent. And then we have parents and siblings and teachers and friends and the media who start to tell us that maybe we were not as loving or loved as we want to be. And that creates a sense of um, self-loathing inside of ourselves. And if that self-loathing isn't healed, then we begin to suffer. And if we don't, if we don't get a handle on what we're suffering about, then we start looking for substances to make us feel better from the suffering. Mm -hmm. And so that suffering can begin anywhere. For me, it began um, It began when my mom put me on a diet when I was seven. And I was at summer camp and all the kids could have desserts, but I couldn't. And I would run out of the, the dining room really upset every day, feeling humiliated. And for me, it began a lifelong journey with humiliation. And that all the times that I would be humiliated would just 
create trauma inside of me. And I began to understand that I was, I was holding so much trauma inside of me that came just even from being humiliated in public, in front of my friends, at school, from a boyfriend, from my brothers, you know, whatever, whatever it was, from me doing something teenagery, stupid, or making a bad mistake in my corporate life. The humiliation was just building inside of me, inside of me. And, um, and the way that I would, I, I, when I realized this next thing I'm going to say, it blew my mind. I understood eventually that bulimia was a form of self-humiliation or self-persecution. And so if I could humiliate myself in the bathroom by throwing up, that would stop other people from humiliating me. It was almost like, let me do it first, right? And because I know every time I would throw up in the bathroom, I would like roll my eyes in the mirror at myself and be like, you're such a loser, you know, like, and this went on for 40 years, almost every day, but, but maybe not every day, right? It, it just was consistently for 40 years. And there were periods of time where I was not in bulimia, but that would not always last. And so it, the only way I was able to get out of it was to truly understand what I was suffering over. And it, for me, it became all of those moments of humiliation and just having to clear that trauma because we all have trauma patterns inside of us. So if we are trying to get out of any form of addiction, and we don't look at the suffering, what we're suffering over, what is our trauma, right? What is the trauma pattern that we're holding? We're just coming into recovery from the symptoms and not the problem. And so I spent a lot of time and resources on working with a therapist to understand all of my trauma patterns and how to heal them. And for me, I did it because I have always admired my friends who are in recovery for a long time and living that recovery in all parts of their lives. And I'm like, what's the difference between them and me? And the difference was, is that they were willing to go in and take a look at the trauma from their life and heal it and integrate it in as part of who they are. It's like we have these you know, many people call it the inner child work, right? Or um, th that's another way of de describing it. And our inner child is very active inside of us. Our inner child is here to protect us because somebody had to, right? When we were kids and, and teenagers. And what the key is, is to address those trauma patterns and then work with your inner child to say, I got this, I'm an adult now. I can be better, I can be healed, I can be all grown up and let's give you something else to do. So I asked my inner child if they could become more about my passion and my fun. Like I gave, it, I gave my inner child a new job, like to say, let's play a game, let's go outside, let's do this, let's laugh, let's dance, let's jump, let's have fun, right? And so, that's my inner child's job now is not to protect me from humiliation because what I really learned busy is that the only way that 
someone can humiliate me or judge me is if I give them the title of judge. If I don't make them judge, then they can't judge me. And it's just their opinion. And I can either accept it or not accept it. I can be gracious about it, or I can tell them to go F off, right? Like (laughs) I can do whatever I want, but what they don't have my permission to do is judge me. You know, I find it so interesting because bulimia Mm -hmm. is a... More and more recently, I'm realizing that so many people fight this battle with food and they do it in isolation. Oh, yes. In some ways, I think there could be more shame associated with bulimia and anorexia and food challenges than even alcoholism and drug addiction. Because at least with drug addiction and alcoholism, it's getting out there, right? Things are starting to change. But on the bulimia and food front, the the people that are battling this feel so alone. Well, you look at, you know, I'm, when you're watching TV, everything, whether you've had a shitty day or a good day, there's somebody has a drink in their hand. If you notice that, you know, listeners like notice that every show now has alcohol in it. It's like, okay, it's okay to drink, right? And with um, bulimia and anorexia and, and obsessive eating, there are 30 million Americans who struggle with this. It's not even considered an addiction. That's the whole thing. It's called a disorder, right? It's, it's not even considered an addiction. And to me, it's an addiction because it's an addiction to the suffering. And I remember when my brother, Michael, and I were uh, younger and, you know, he was doing drugs and I was doing my food and we were going taking a ride into New York. And I said, I think my addiction is worse than yours. And he started laughing. He goes, how can you compare food to drugs? And I said, I, because my, uh, I can get my, my drug of choice on every corner in America. There's a store of some sort and in my cabinets, it's like, I'm, I'm constant. And I have permission from society to eat three times a day plus snacks. And we, and we don't see that. And also I believe that, um, you, we, we chatted about this previously that people turn to food, to sugar, when they're coming off other sources of um, vices. And so if we declare that, that food is a vice, uh-oh, where do they go? Well, where do they go? The only place to go is to look at your suffering and figure out how do I move beyond this life of suffering that I'm in. And the way to do that in the book, Feast and Famine, there are four things that Sophia shared. It's called a divine healing path. One is to recognize that pain is inevitable. Mm. We're not getting out of pain. Like people want a pain-free life. That's not going to happen. We're mind, body, spirit, and emotion. We have an integrated system. Something is going to go wrong. Plus we don't live in a cave. There are other people in our lives and there's a society out there. So pain is inevitable and we need to accept that. The next is that suffering is an option. So, pe- so most people think that pain and suffering go together, 
right? Oh, yes, yeah, so much pain and suffering. They're not the same thing. Pain is pain and suffering is how you, how you address the pain. So what I came to describe suffering as is as wallowing in your pain, right? When you're wallowing, you're suffering. And so you have a choice. Everybody has a choice. They don't have to suffer. The next, um, the next step on the path is surrender is required. That's a big one. Just saying, I no longer want to drink. Can someone help me? Can you take this away? That's, that's not surrender. Surrender is, I will never do this again. When I was in the bathroom the last time, and I could feel everything that I was doing to my body, like my body just said, here, look, look, Robin, look what you're doing to this beautiful vessel. Feel this, feel the pain feel the damage. So I'm like, whoa, I am never doing this again. Never. I really put my foot down. That's surrender. And how do you know you're in surrender is because the grace of understanding begins to come to you of why you were in pain and why you're suffering. And so the last step, the fourth step is grace must be allowed. This isn't a really important step too, because grace is available to us 24 seven. It comes in the form of listening to this podcast, right? It comes in the form of a friend calling or you reading an article or seeing a, a happy meme on Facebook that just, that just like says to you, oh, I need to do something now. I'm gonna make that call. That's grace. Grace is motivating you to exercise right? Getting you outside. Every walk I take, I thank God for giving me the energy and the ability to take a walk in nature, right? That's grace, right? But it must be allowed busy. And that's a tough one for people who have the role in the family as the addict, right? Or the perfect one or whatever they are, right? It, it's hard to accept grace, um, and so it must be allowed. So that's, those are the four things. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is an option. Surrender is required and grace must be allowed. That is what the divine realm, the spiritual realm says is the path to recovery. And the, then, and then the path to long-term recovery is living a life of congruence of living recovery in your, with yourself, within your relationships, at work and in community. And when you're living your recovery long-term in all of those, then you could even, might I say, be in remission from recovery. And are you, would you say you're in remission? So you haven't gotten sick or major sick since that day. Yeah, so, so would I say I'm in remission? That is my goal. I. I've held this standard that you have to be in recovery for a long time to be in remission, but I am working exceptionally diligently every day to live recovery in my self-care, in my relationships, in my work, and in my community service. And so when I am confident that I am clearly re living those recoveries. I am confident to say that I am in remission. 
And will you give me some examples how you do that in self-care and how you do that in your relationships? Because I think that's huge. How do you do that? Yeah, so in my self-care for me, because I have a food disorder, right? A food addiction. I have to track what I'm eating every day. If I know people don't like to do that, but for me, it stops the obsessive eating. And so um, since I've been in recovery, um, I've, I've also taken off the 25 pounds that I was carrying because I just want to be really clear. Bulimia is not a weight loss tool. It is not. When you're in bulimia, your body goes into starvation mode and says, do not burn any calories. We do not know where the next morsel of food is coming. We know she's going to eat it, but she may purge it. So let's hold on to every calorie that we possibly can. And so I just want to make sure that people who have that impression that I tell them that that's not true. Um, and so I, I follow a healthy program for my vessel. I try to honor my vessel. You know, I have this wonderful job where I'm a channel for the spiritual realm, writing books. And so I want to keep my vessel really healthy. In fact, prior to coming into recovery, there was so much of me that felt that I was a fraud. Here I am writing, writing books for the spiritual realm in addiction, mm -hmm. right? Like, how does that work? And it worked because I could move beyond that for the times that I was writing, but I couldn't hold the energy of my books. Now in recovery, I, I can hold them. So what do I do? I, I count my calories. <laughs> I exercise. I drink my water. I sleep well. Um, I take whatever supplements I feel are appropriate, you know, vitamins. And I just manage that, manage it. And then I feel really awesome. And I don't feel like uh, eating, eating my trigger foods. Um, and... Uh, and then in my relationships, well, I happen, I happen to be married to someone who is really engaged in our relationship too. Um, and so we really try hard to talk honestly with each other and support each other and be in gratitude for each other. And so I think that that to me is being, you know, in recovery in my relationship um, with, with my husband. Um, and, and he's very supportive. For example, our son was staying with us and I bought him chocolate chips um, so I could make him chocolate chip pancakes. And my husband saw the chocolate chips and he's like, is everything okay? He's like, are you okay that you bought chocolate chips? And I'm like, yes, I am. I even made the, I even made the pancakes and I didn't even eat one, even the ones that were like, like, you know, the morsels that were stuck on my fingers because the chocolate chips got warm as I was putting them in the batter. I'm like, I looked at my fingers and I went and washed my hands because I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not going there. And um, my body helped me out too. Um, I realized that um, what I learned in becoming a recovery writing coach is that um, I was still engaged in the obsessive eating. I had stopped the bulimia, but I was still, and, um, and I realized that I was still obsessively eating chocolate, especially during the beginning stages of COVID-19. 
2018. But then I developed this chronic cough. And the only way the cough stopped was by not eating the chocolate. So I think my body said, okay, well, let's help her out here. <laughs> let's give her something, some sort of symptom that says you're obsessively eating. And so that's what happens to me when I'm obsessively eating, I start coughing a lot. So my body is on my team helping me. And did your husband know what you were doing all those years? He did. He did. When I first told him, he was shocked. And when I tell anybody, they're shocked. And when this book came out, maybe, maybe four or five people knew. And they're like, Robin, Claire? What? Are you kidding me? Right? Because I'm a spiritual leader in my community and, you know, spiritual teacher and, you know, look, I look like I have my act together, right? because <laughs> we all, and put it put, put put your book up so everybody can see it i just want to <laughs> sure see i'm coughing um peace and famine healing addiction with grace and i think that it's interesting that you said that everybody in your community because again this disease the a disease of bulimia is done in your home correct oh it's private so private and you can even go to different neighborhoods to buy your, you know, convenience stores in bad neighborhoods and go and buy, you know, it takes just like the drugs and alcohol take you to horrible neighborhoods because you're ashamed. You won't go into your local convenience store. Mm -hmm. You want to go towns over or in the city and pick it up. And then to come out of the shadows and say, yes, it's happened to me for one. You're so courageous. Thank I you that because I believe that you're healing and you're doing what you're doing is going to help so many others get to that place that they can be honest and free. Yeah, I agree. And so when I was sharing my story, the, 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 the fact that I had this trauma pattern of humiliation would stop me from, from telling my story. Right. And once that was healed, I had, I could go, I could come out here. I could tell my story because now I'm not afraid of being humiliated. Um, and I've been working very deeply with my therapist to, to look at all of these patterns, as I said. And I do believe that when people start looking at their trauma patterns, they need to do it with a professional. Mm -hmm. It's not just something you do on your own because it can be pretty intense. And I think you really, you really need someone who's an expert in that. It could be a therapist, a, a counselor, a life coach an energy healer, um, whatever your preference is, your, your clergy, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do, but don't, don't do it alone. No, no. And it takes so much courage to actually reach out and ask for help. I think that's the hardest thing for most people to do, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And not to put people on pedestals, right? Cause we're all human. We're all fallible, right? None of us mm -hmm. unscathed, right? Yeah. 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 And yeah. women look at other women like you just described in, when you came out and people were like, Robin, Claire, this is you. And you're like, yeah, it is. And it's interesting. One of my friends who's another author, after she read Feast and Famine, she said, I'm just calling to let you know that finally Robin Claire is in her books. Before the other two books, I really wasn't in there. I told stories, but I wasn't in there. Mm 
in this book, I am. And that's why, that's why I've decided, you know, I had decided to become a, what I call a writing recovery coach, because I think writing is two levels. One, you can use the writing to write as a way of healing, right? You can get all those stories out of you, those feelings out of you and put it on paper. And so I always say, when you write your story, you heal yourself. But when you publish your story, you heal others. And so when I'm working with my clients, it's always at, sometimes they're only at the first level. Like sometimes they're like, and then at that level, I'm like, oh, go for it. You know, throw everybody under the bus, right? Just throw everybody. Tell your, tell them, tell us everything. And then if you're going to publish it, we'll go back in and look. We'll go back in and look because in my in my journey, you know, my mom, I would say she 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 did a Tony Award winning performance in my play about Robin's bulimia. She just I do believe that we choose our parents on the soul level before we come here. And then we're like, hey, this is what I need you to do in my lifetime so that maybe I can get to a place where I can actually heal my soul and move forward to the next lifetime. So this is a role you need to do. And my, as I said, my mom gave a Tony award-winning performance until she and I came to an agreement that talking about weight and, and me in my body was off limits. Mm. And she honored that. Um, it was hard for her because that's the role she played for you know, 60 years. <laughs> well, I'm not that old, but, but close. Um, and, and so we know that our parents do that, right? That, that they have a role to play. And, and then, we, then, we, then we come to a point where we're gonna heal that. And I think we need to recognize the people in our lives. And so for me, up until like literally two hours before I was gonna publish the book, I was still working on what I was writing about my mom because I was trying to, because remember I, I shared with everybody, the first time I wrote the book, I was still in addiction. So there was a lot of resentment in my writing, but in recovery, you know, hindsight is 2020. Mm -hmm. When I looked back at the role that I asked my mom to play. And when I looked back at what she did from a place of recovery, I could see, I could see, you know, her truly for who she was, the role that she played and how much she truly loved me. And I knew she always loved me, but it was, there was always that fear of what was she going to say? Um, because she wanted, both my parents wanted me to be perfect in their own way. My mom, people judge you by how you look. So be careful. Right. And my dad was people judge you by how you behave. So be perfect. So, you know, coming through growing up, I had this, this pressure on me to be perfect. And I think we all do. And that's why I think that eating disorders, like you said earlier, is, is um, so difficult because everywhere we're expected to be perfect. And the media perpetuates that especially for women putting out such high standards for what, what we can accomplish mm. and what we, what we need to do working moms. Like I look at all the young women, 
oh my God, the young mothers, you know, it was hard enough when their kids were in daycare in school and then COVID happens and they're working and then they're now the teacher and the nurse and, and they're still working, right? All in the same course of the same day. When, when, when COVID happened, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel extraordinarily bad for these working moms. They're under so much pressure. And, um, and so I would say to them, you know, just know that you're not alone. Um, because Sophia, grace is just waiting for you to ask for help so that she can bring you grace, the grace of support, ask for support. Oh, this has been so wonderful, Robin. Thank you so much. You're I'm going to link for your website on the description of our podcast today, because I just your aura, the whole thing. It's just been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. So everybody, thank you so much. Look up Robin Claire. I'll have her information in the blog, the, the bio that's going to go with the podcast. And um, again, this is one, I just love that we're bringing this out of the darkness. It is such time for it. It's crazy because it's an epidemic, just like the drugs and the alcohol, the food. Mm -hmm. so thank you so much. And um, everybody until next time. Remember to keep getting busy living sober. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. Take care. Take care.